This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the Professor Chalbelo Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. The American Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this. What is going on there, the Hamenites and all the ites out there, the left, the right, the Dems, the Repubs. What is going on to the Magnificent 7, the Elite 8, the Naughty 9, the Terrific 10, the Essential 11. You know what? People are loving the reflection. People are loving it on the PWC. People are loving it on the Hamen Media Group at PowerBeam.com. People are loving it on the PWS Networks on the YouTubes. And you know what? We say about that? It's about goddamn time you watch the reflection. It's about goddamn time you listen to the reflection because we are the most nostalgic podcast out there. We are the most nostalgic thing going on in the IWC, YWC, PWC, Punchy. And again, it's not just reviewing shows just to review. We give you every range about it. We give you spotlights, rivalries, movies, what ifs. We are so eccentric with what we do. I am so eccentric with what I do and what I want to give out in the content regions of the PWR podcast. So it is my, you know, agenda. It is my like mission to give you the entertainment that you reflectionize so richly deserves. The green pieces, the Donny Donny Day ones, the Phyllis Scott Wood, the Chris Paul Bruce Winlands. Of course, TN Coupon, who always gives us stuff to do the shows for you. So, and, and all the reflection guys, 8 Track Black, you know, Jeff Lipman, Steve Pena, all the, and of course, Chris Ams, AMBS from the PWC, Jimmy T for the PWC. There's just too many to name out there, TW. But anyway, if I do that, there will be a five hour show. I can't do that because I, I TW does not like five hours. He likes one hour, yeah, 90 minutes, two hours the most. Well, that's it. I got a limit with TW. It's like a prostitute. I got my limit and I got enough money to for two hours. That's it. And then I must pay him and he must go. But neither here nor there. Welcome or welcome to the PWR podcast here at the Hami Media Group at Powerbeam.com. And if you don't know me, now you know because I am the most affluent, affluent one. Yes, I am. I am the most eccentric one. I am the most nostalgic one. I am the most effervescent one. I am the most scholarly one. But most importantly, I am the most glorious one. 
feel the objective man in this IWC, YWC, PWC, punditry. The only objective man in this political spectrum. The only objective man that calls it right down the middle like Bill Alfonso. Your friend of mine, the Professor Chabel Van Cruz. And I'm not here alone to do this episodic episode. No, 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 no. I am here with my brother from another mother. It's a little lighter than me that he's neither here nor there. The conservative liberal, the liberal conservative dum dum doing idiot's own. He is the man, the Green Lantern reject himself. Dr. Frankenstein, Mr. Wonderful, the Tommy Wonder, how are you doing, my friend? Tired as hell, man. Tired. You, you know, Reflection Ice, again, the, the cat's out of the bag. We record this a couple of days earlier. And of course, a couple of days ago for the United States Reflection Nights, it was Labor Day. And of course, TW, in celebration of Labor Day, had about 12 cases of Bud Lights. He was drinking with Dylan Mulvaney. He was drinking with RuPaul. He was having a good old time. We, and I think he showed it on his TikTok. So TW, am I right about that? You, you, you did a TikTok with Dylan Mulvaney drinking Bud Lights and going crazy. Say, I want to get on one of them cans. I got, I got to do something to get a million followers. No, mm-hmm. oh, it okay. had nothing to do with Labor Day. Labor Day, I took the day off. I played euchre. I didn't drink a drop of alcohol on Labor Day. It was uh-huh. the day before. Mm-hmm. I'm in a fantasy football league for almost 30 years now. Well, actually, almost 20. 25. 25 this year. So that means it was the 26th Iron League fantasy football draft for me. And for some reason, I thought it'd be a good idea to say yes to Denny when he asked me if I wanted to play golf before we did the draft. So I got up 8.30 in the morning mm-hmm. and played golf and then started the draft at noon and got home from the draft at 11.30. Anybody out there that plays fantasy football knows, normal people have a draft that takes two to three hours. Some of them can even be done in an hour if you do it online. But when you get together with 11 of my dumb, dumb buddies, it starts at noon and ends at damn near midnight. And may or may not have given the alcohol back Mm -hmm. on the side wall of the pond. I may or may not have, but that's that's for the... uh, aliens to decide did, did i hear did i hear you correct you said this is the 25th anniversary of fantasy football with your crew it's the 27th for them but my 25th i didn't get into it until the third year no nah, i'm just i'm just doing the math because i am perplexed i you know i never thought about this you know until you said the word 25 you said the number 25 I'm like damn fantasy football has been going on that long tw- almost Longer 27 years jesus Longer christ than, yeah. i, I thought fantasy 98 I started. They started in 96. So you did like the Yahoo one with the the, the dial-up. Oh. oh, we did, did my buddy Phil, who's still mm-hmm. part of the league. Phil would get the USA Today every Monday, and he would mm-hmm. go through the stats in the USA Today and give everybody their credit for their touchdowns, their pass. Uh, back, back then it was primitive. You got a touchdown, you got yards, and mm-hmm. you got like passing or receiving or rushing. And then you got, uh, that's it, touchdowns mm-hmm. and yards. And then we've obviously evolved. Uh, of course. But we got, oh, we got interceptions and fumbles and sacks and stuff like that. But now we got. It is streamlined, Reflection Eyes. It is streamlined for 2020 threats purposes. But the primitive, barbaric fantasy football days of the late 90s, it is just like, it's not funny to hear. It's just like. It just makes us feel old. It's just the way we started. Like you just said, the USA Today. I remember in the 90s, I just did the the playoff, not the, like the pools, you know, the, right. the, 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 the spreads. That's it. Because I was, I, 
Yeah, the pick'em spreads. That that was it. I think I didn't get into fantasy football probably until late 2000s, maybe early 2010. So, you know, I didn't do 25. I probably did like, I would do like 10 to 15 years myself. So I missed 10 years of the primitive stuff. I got into it after, you know, Yahoo got a little bit more, you know, refined and, and all the other and Google started getting refined and all that stuff. And then, of course, you got your Facebook leagues and then your Twitter leagues or whatever the case may be. Reflection. But again, this is not the fantasy football nostalgic podcast. No, 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 no. But I'll tell you this. Who's your number one pick, T.W.? My pick or the pick in the drafts? Your pick. Well, I had number eight. Oh, wait, wait. No, no, no. I I don't I don't want to I don't want to, you know, for any reflection that might be in the playoff pool. I don't want to I don't want you to lay out your, your strategy. But who's been your best draft pick in your 25-year fantasy football years? The goat, the goat of wonder wildness has been it's it's Frank Gore, man. Frank Gore. Frank Gore. Jeez. Antonio Brown, mm-hmm. who's, who's made the news recently uh, again. Not for um, good reasons. My very first ever pick. You know I'm a 49er fan, right? Mm-hmm. And I had, to learn, I had to learn long ago not to pick your favorite players. You got to pick. The best player. You can have, like, I always have at least one Niner on my team and at least one Lion on my team. And I have both of those this year. Debo mm-hmm. Samuel and uh, Williams. What's J- J- Javad Williams? I don't know. The damn running back or the receiver for the Lions that got suspended. Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams. There's okay. so many damn Jay Williams in the NFL that I can't think of my mm-hmm. guy. Anyway, uh, so the very first pick I ever made, I think I had the first pick overall in 98. He's a GOAT. Greatest quarterback all times, Steve Young. That year, I pick him. Mm-hmm. Dude gets killed and is out for the season in like week two. <laughs> a year later, I got mm-hmm. first pick again. Maybe second. I think it's first. And the guy who had never, ever been hurt in his entire career in week two, Tears his ACL, Jerry Rice. And then he yeah. came back like the last three weeks of the season. But I learned then and there, I'm not picking my favorite players anymore because when you do that, you get the bad juju. But uh, yeah. I have, I believe I've had Barry Sanders on my team. Uh, obviously, I've had Steve Young and Jerry Rice. Um, Frank Gore, I just had, oh, and then Matt Stafford. I, there was a time, so we do keepers too, right? If you pick a guy late in the draft and you keep him without cutting him, the next mm-hmm. year, you can keep them, and you don't get to pick that pick this year. So say you pick them in the eighth round. Next year, you don't get the eighth round pick because you kept the guy from last year. Andrew right. Luck and uh, Cam Newton, they, they came in around a year apart. One year, I picked Andrew Luck. The next year, I kept him and drafted Cam Newton. The next year, I kept Cam Newton and drafted Andrew Luck. In their first four seasons in NFL, they were on my team both of them for their first four seasons because I love them. But they didn't win me shit. Frank Gore won me shit. Hey, Uh, you know what? Again, we learn. Don't pick with your heart. You pick with the stats. Right. Stats will help you win those championship trophies. But again, this is not about fantasy football, but it was nice to like celebrate it and just realize we are getting old with fantasy football being that old in its infancy from the late 90s with the way with the barbaric USA Todays to now, you know, the Yahoo Leagues, the the ESPN Fantasy Football Leagues, all that stuff is just right at your fingertips. It's on your phone where you can draft on your phone. So so TW could have just did a 12-hour fantasy 
butt naked in his bed on his phone, but he chose not to do that. But again, neither here nor there. But we must do what we do best here at the PWR Podcast, here at the Hami Media Group at Podbean.com, and we must know must go nostalgic, and we must go episodic. And I thought it was apropos that since we are in the month of September, TW, we must go back in the time machine to 1995. We must go back to WCW. We must go back to watching an old Monday Night Nitro. And it's so old, TW, that this is probably the third or fourth episode of its infancy. The third episode, episode three of Monday Night Nitro, September 18th, 1995. This was the fallout from Fall Brawl 1995. So I'll give you a little bit of hyperboles of what happened on the pay-per-view because it kind of cached into this Monday Night Nitro. And the biggest thing that happened, TW, from Fall Brawl was that the Hulkamaniacs, which is still, by the way, maybe one of the best teams in War Games history, but they're number two right behind the Four Horsemen. But again, neither here nor there. I'm not trying to be biased here. But the Hulkamaniacs defeated the Dungeon of Doom. And of course, Hulk Hogan had five minutes alone in the cage with Kevin Sullivan. He was supposed to beat him up, beat him up. And the Hulkamaniacs was supposed to, you know, cheer him on, you know, all that stuff. And of course, remember that he was wearing the fatigues. He had the he had the camouflage paint on his face and on his body. I don't know why he put camouflage on his body. It's kind of gay to me. But again, neither here nor there. But when that was happening, everybody was looking in the back. Everybody was looking at the dressing room curtains. And who appears? But again, it's the giant, aka Big Show, aka Paul White. He he bust open the the cage door, T.W., and, of course, got in there and snapped the neck of Hulk Hogan. And now we are here in, you know, for the Monday Night Nitro fallout from Fall Brawl with that, you know, that precipice, that logistics here, T.W. But I want to say this. Even though Hulk Hogan was not on the in the, the arena, per se, they he had like a back. He had an interview. You know, they, they showed a vignette of an interview, but I think it was the, the interview from Fall Brawl. So it didn't matter. So basically, Hulk Hogan had a week off. But it dawned on the professor. Hopefully it might have dawned on you. But this was the starting point, even though that in 1994, you know, the name was there for Hulk Hogan. Everybody knew who Hulk Hogan was. But we all know that the Southern wrestling fans, the WCW fans, I think you said it yourself, and I, I agree with it 100%, that the Southern fans did not cater to being a Hulkamaniac. They did not care for the training, the prayers, the vitamins. But I got that part, TW, and, and I'm not even denying that. I'm talking about you and me. We grew up as Hulkamaniacs. We're getting older for this. 1995, I'm 18, I'm going to be 18 years old. You're already in your 20s. You're already starting in your, you know, your wrestling career per se. You probably like rub shoulders with Hulk Hogan. That was the, the year I went to the Great American Bash, which was right. three months before this episode. Right. So you rub shoulders with Hulk Hogan. You was an honorary Hulkamaniac, but you even knew, or maybe you didn't even, you wasn't going to say this in front of Hulk Hogan's face, but you kind of knew that the, the pomp and circumstances of Hulkamania was waning down, and we all heard like there was the little booze in the in the arenas for Hulk Hogan coming out. People didn't care about Hulk Hogan, you know, when he was whining for you know the truth, justice in the American way, all that stuff. And it dawned on the professor, maybe from the precipice of having the 
the Dungeon of Doom vignettes a couple of weeks prior to that. Then you get the War Games, and now we we're starting here. Hulkamania was on the downturn. What say you about that assessment? I'm old. So the promo mm-hmm. was the the segment was before Paul Brawl. It was him showing up to the arena on his motorcycle, and then Paul White, the Giants. Uh, this is when they were still holding on to the fact that he was not Andre the Giant's son, but implying he was. And he drove mm-hmm. over the top of his motorcycle with a monster truck. So mm-hmm. I believe this was... That was the Easter up, egg to ha- Halloween Havoc with the monster truck shit. Right. And I say, this was leading up to, to, to which I was at, at Cobo Hall. And they did it on the roof of Cobo Hall. And the big show supposedly went over the top of it and landed in the Detroit River. And then also came out at the end of the show to interfere mm-hmm. i think that was hogan versus zodiac or something that night i don't know but um the whole company was on the town like it one of the worst promos ever is the one the well the start of the show was a match but the macho man and luger because stuff that happened the night before but hogan was so cheesy at this point like he didn't look the same he didn't have that i mean he was still larger than life but he wasn't massive like he was in WWF. He was clearly like 50 to 100 pounds lighter. Uh, maybe not 100 because he wasn't 200 pounds, but you know what I mean. He I think he was, he, he, he was billed at 275, supposedly. Yeah, he was so. off the gas maybe he was is what he was. Mm-hmm. He didn't look – his mustache wasn't the same. He spent a lot more time in Hollywood. So I think it's a combination of, A, he was the bad guy from the north. And let's, not, let's be honest. We talked about it before. A lot of the Southern fans – jump ship when nwa became wcw so they probably blame him for nwa not being around anymore because it's wcw now which isn't the same there you know tradition is what the nwa fans like and so i don't know if it was i don't know if it was it was blaming i think you just went with the your hometown kind of brand so i mean he's still viewed as the bad guy and in their Mm -hmm. eyes he's probably one of the reasons nwa is no longer nwa it's wcw so Mm -hmm. They had resentment for him, is what I mean. And right. for not, but at the same token, this same show has Ric Flair on there. It, he didn't even really seem like the crowd was behind him. It, this this whole show was like they were they were treading water, man. They were doggy paddling here. They weren't they weren't swimming like Greg Phelps. They were they were struggling. And uh, well, you know, to, wait 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 a minute. To be foul, to be yeah, foul, hell. This is the third episode of Monday Night Nitro, so they have they haven't established. Right. Forget about the wrestlers; they haven't established a formula right the, now per se. I was gonna say the good thing is about six months from now, their tide turns for the greater, and mm-hmm. it starts because I I still give credit to Luger. Luger is the credit. That's I think when Luger showed up on Nitro, it made Nitro interesting. Ray just said earlier when we were talking, I didn't even think i ever knew nitro was only one hour i thought it was two and they went to three i didn't realize they basically did what impact did where they did the hour before monday night raw and then they went to two and three hours when they were getting momentum but but mm-hmm. just wcw in general and not and wrestling in general 93 is arguably considered the worst era wwf the whole new era generation was was dead deadpan at least in revisionist eyes right like Mm-hmm. Some of us who never left wrestling, I didn't hate 93 like everyone else. But, yeah, if you hold it up and compare it, you know, Doink the Clown and Kona Crush and and just all the stupid gimmicks they had. The, the 93, 94 was a bad year, but 
95, 96, 97 is when it all took a turn for the better. WCW, this whole show is, I, I, I spent most of it thinking the crowd noise was piped in, like the cheers and the boos. It felt mm-hmm. like, remember how WCW Saturday night used to feel that way? Like it would be in studio and you, you just knew they had applause meters and people were cheering when they were told to. That's what this Nitro felt like to me. That, that's a conspiracy theory. I was never at center stage. So I cannot confirm nor deny that conspiratorial assessment from TW. I kind of agree with it, but I can't, you know, I can't just like co-sign it. had a it. sitcom studio feel to it. Just, not only visually, I mean, mm-hmm. sponically, it sounded like canned responses. Like, what? And then, Again. oh, we're going to commercial, and everyone stand up. Whoa! It was just, off. Oh, you've been there to a live show where they yeah. do the countdown before they go live, so that it looks like the mm-hmm. crowd is going crazy for the start of the show. Yeah. But again, like I said, it is in its intimacy. It is their third episode. And, and to be fair here, for at yeah. least with, with Eric Bischoff, per se, you know, Eric Bischoff had a vision. Monday Nitro is wasn't the original vision for Eric Bischoff. It was, you know, it was a it was a plan B because he had to have something for Ted Turner to make him happy and just say, okay, we'll we'll do something else. Eric Bischoff had a vision of being the next Vince McMahon. He had a vision from take for for taking WCW out of the doldrums of Southern wrestling, you know, feeling hokey, feeling like it's you know, you're going to the bar. And he wanted to make it mainstream as best as he can. Of course, he took the names. We, we already know this. We, he took the names of Hogan. He took Savage. He took Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He took Bobby the Brain Heenan. He took Mean Gene. People who had star power and people that, that the wrestling fans could recognize. And in 1995, as you say, it takes a turn for the better. But Eric Bischoff is the reason that it, that wrestling took a turn for the better. Not Vince, because 95, Vince was a little bit like, he was complacent. Vince was still cartoon character-ish. Even he, you could have, uh, you know, Diesel and HBK. You could still do the banger matches with HBK. But again, you still have the goon, and you still have some of these, you still have Aldo Montoya. In comparison, again, I don't. I'm not yeah. saying that the I'm not saying that the Dungeon of Doom was the best character works. It still was hokey, it was stupid, but it was still Kevin Sullivan. You still had Brutus Beefcake. You still had Kamala. You still had One Man Gang. You had known people for hokey gimmicks. And again, that's why I say I think Eric Bischoff to me gets more credit for the turnaround of wrestling more than Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon had to be pushed, and that was in '97. He had to be pushed to the to the to almost bankruptcy to to turn himself around and say, I got to wake up and, and make sure that I keep up with the times. I You got to give all praises to a lot T.W. to Eric Bischoff, because he was the one that started it. Of course, you know, New Japan, he had his you know, he wanted to go worldwide with New Japan. And of course, he stole the ideas from Paul Heyman and ECW first and foremost. Let's not forget that. Because, again, I always say ECW saved wrestling, but it took somebody like Eric Bischoff, like, like, you know how you was in high school? You know, you found that nerd on your left or right, and you cheated on that test so you could get 100 just like the nerd? Eric Bischoff was cheating off of Paul Heyman's uh, test papers, and that's where we w- were in, in 1995. Hey, you agree with that assessment? Yes, but here's, here's what I give him credit for. First and foremost, 
he was a businessman. So he wasn't looking at it as a wrestling person per se. He was look he wrestling fell into his lap. That, he didn't grow up wanting to be a wrestling business guy. He became one because of business. And so mm-hmm. he had I mean, it helps that you got Ted Turner's pocketbook, but he had the balls to try different things. And what I think they were still doing here on this Nitro was, and they had to do it. WCW would have went the way of the Dodo Bird a lot sooner had he not done this. But even mm-hmm. though it was bad in the beginning, it still got eyeballs on their product, like you said, with name recognition guys like Mean Gene, Macho Man Hogan, uh, Beefcake, all these guys. He was trying to be the WWF. He, the Dungeon of Doom was silly characters like Skinner and Nails and all those guys and Zodiac, all that stuff. Oz, come on, it's the worst one ever. He's doing all these things to try to beat them at their own game, not realizing that that shit's dead. And he, he, the, luckily, he then did realize that shit's dead, and he changed it up while he had the eyes on the price. The best thing that happened to him, I think, is obviously getting Hall and Nash, but having to call them Hall and Nash and not Diesel and Razor Ramon. Because if he mm-hmm. brought them in there and called them Diesel and Razor Ramon, then mm-hmm. it then he just keeps doing the hokey character stuff. But by bringing them in as their own real names instead of giving them Master Blaster Steel again or Vinny Vegas or Diamond Stud, he gave them their own name. That inadvertently created the reality TV version of wrestling, and that's when it started blurring the lines between what's real, what's fake. And this episode here is right around the time, 93, 94, 95, when k died, mm-hmm. and people knew it wasn't real. But then in 96... People started going, hold up, is it real now? Because it felt real because right. of the Hall and Nash stuff and he, Pillman and Austin. I like I like what you said, that he kept his eyes on the prize, of right. course. Again, he was willing taking to try the, new things. Right. He, first, he wasn't willing to try new things. He was just willing to recycle old things right. just to get it on his thing. So I'm being but, was, but it was new for WCW. They weren't yeah. doing grandpa's wrestling. They were doing New mm-hmm. York wrestling. So yeah, I, get, I give you that. New to them. Right. I give you that. But again, I give Bischoff a little bit more credit than I think a lot of people want to give him credit for. Because, again, you know, full praise. Yeah, you got to give him full praises to Allah. So let's talk about this the episode. commissioner at the time here. They stopped that, that commissioner thing. No, no. They referenced I mean, that it, it was supposed to be Bachwinkle, but he wasn't was. on TV. Right. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's subtle little things like that where you're mm-hmm. still tipping your hat to tradition because you got a guy like Nick Bakalunku who satisfies the NWA purists, but also you still are trying new things with Hulkamania, new to you with Hulkamania, mm-hmm. you know, trying to reinvent the wheel, if you will. Right. But uh, in the monster truck shit, all the tie-ins. He, mm-hmm. he threw a lot of darts at the wall. They all didn't stick. But once, they, once the ones that did stick stuck, it, it was off to the races. And it was because of Eric Bischoff, like you're saying. Right. And and the one thing before we talk about this episode reflection, you know how we do. We go front to back, side to side, just like you wipe your asses all the time in the toilet. But TW in the toilet room. In, in, in 1995, TW for again, you wasn't watching the product, you was wrestling, you was doing what you had to do. But you've been doing the reflection for a long time so you know the episodics and you've seen the different episodics between raw and nitro especially in the in the noughties so in 1995 i'm just giving you from my 
from my eyes. So this way you can understand where I'm coming from and then where most of the IWC fans were coming from or the YWC or just the wrestling community itself. This is the third episode, but this is with the, the, the production, the camera work, the, the visual. In comparison to WWE, because you knew that you can tell they taped like five episodes in a row, and then the, of course the crowd is not into it. Now while you're now while it's live, it's something new that even that gravitated the professor because it's not about I knew something different was going to happen. I just like it live. I just like it that you know you could botch and fuck it up. It was not about who was going to appear. The Luger thing it, it was icing on the cake. Don't get me wrong. But I was more interested in the botches. I was more interested in the fuck-ups and just see how, how wrestlers adapt to a live situation. Because wrestlers before Nitro really started, like, pumping out live after live after live. And then WWE followed suit. You know, the wrestlers had room to fail. The, you know, had room to botch. Because they knew that, you know, the editing room was going to cut it out. And then you do it all over again. Hence, like, I'll give you an example of Reflection Nights, the Rockers versus the Hart Foundation. The ring fucked up. The Rockers won the tag team titles, but it never happened. It's a Mandela effect because they'll never show it to you, and it never counted in the history books. But there is tape of the Rockers being the WWE tag team champions in the 90s. I'm just giving you an example. But, TW, that visual presentation, I think that that was the first key, not about the roster and the storyline first. I think it was the live. It was live took a percentage of even WWE fans away to say, okay, let me watch the live first and I'll record on my VCR the raw second. What say you about that assessment? Absolutely. And, and I like what you just said there. Like, I mean, it, to, it got to the point where you did watch it live because you were like, who's going to show up next? Um, but that was down the way, not in the beginning, other than Luger, which mm -hmm. I think was paramount. That, that planted the seed. And then when Scott Hall did it and then, I think Kevin Nash was a pay-per-view when he showed up, but or no, maybe, it was nitro. It was nitro but, a couple of weeks later. So you you got that feel to it, and you know what AEW did that for a while, where every Wednesday somebody new would show up, and you know they don't these AEW fans don't want to admit it, but there's only one other place they could be coming from, and that would be Japan. But normally they're guys coming from WWE, so mm -hmm. um, there was some of that. But yeah, you said it best, like, and I didn't even think about it in that respect. That yeah. I've been to long wrestling shows as a wrestler and was just wiped out by the end of it. And I wrestled once or twice. I couldn't imagine sitting through five or I don't think it was five. I think it was four. I think one raw was live and then they recorded uh, three uh, for the next three weeks. And then yeah, it give, got give, give or take, but you know where I'm going with it. They, they, yeah. It was one live and then they taped and then three a couple tapes. Weeks and then it, mm -hmm. then it switched to one live and, and one tape and then live again. And then it went live all together. But you, you said earlier, it may, they had to do that to keep up. But the, the audience is just tired by the end of the night, man. And it's like you like some of these again, I'm not trying to pick on AEW, but some of these AEW shows. Oh, shit. SummerSlam. SummerSlam was too damn long and I was there. So these mm -hmm. five hour shows are just no good. And that's the good thing about doing it like. AEW doing um, Rampage is quicker live because they do all the interviews and shit after. That stuff's happening out in the back somewhere. So you're only seeing like three matches. So it's only 35 more minutes at the venue. And then they make it an hour show in post-production. So the live Raw was the, was the two hours. And then the tape ones were just a bunch of matches, not 
a full-on mm-hmm. Raw show, which was a two two-headed sword. It a got it done quicker, and b the fans there still watched those shows because they wanted to see what else happened that they didn't see live. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, and then and 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 like you said, someone could get hurt. You know, you don't want to see nobody get hurt, but you. Uh, one of the things that happened is it was the intro to superstars. My buddy took a pedigree from Triple H horribly. And and it was live, but it was for superstars. So they just did the spot again, which is a no-no. You don't but they did it again because they had to or they couldn't air this match. But the intro to the show was the bad botch. <laughs> it was the mm. bad one that he took. And then same thing with my other buddy against Scott Hall. He took he did the Lex Luger sting sell to Ric Flair on the chops. And so Razor Ramon dropped him on his head for real. That became part of the opening of Superstars. But when mm-hmm. they did it live, they they did the spots over again so that the TV had a clean finish and not the botch. But the mm-hmm. botch made it into the real. And I, I thought that was funny. But, um, yeah, live is always better. A- although being there isn't as fun. Because you got to sit there through the red lights for the commercials and all that stuff. But, but watching it on TV live, you're running to the bathroom at commercials. So you don't miss anything when you... When you're in the bathroom, you're running back or you're going to get a drink and some popcorn. You're running back because you don't want to miss nothing. Whereas recorded, thanks to the, the, the sheets, you already know what's happening anyway, man. And, and right. you're going to go when, when it's something that you already know you're not going to like. And Bischoff was the first of the sheets because he used to give out the, the raw results on Nitro. So because he wanted those fans not to channel surf and go back and forth between raw and Nitro. So let's talk about this episode, the fallout. From Fall Brawl, and they begin with the luckiest motherfucker out there, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. I don't know what the hell, man. I mean, this is even before Buff Bagwell TW, and from like 91-ish, 92 to 95, this man was just lucky to be, you know, riding the jock straps of two cold Scorpio, the Patriot, and now Scotty Riggs. The American Males is another ensemble tag team for Marcus Alexander Bagwell, but he was honing in on his uh, Chippendale GWF days, TW. The sh- what was it? The Stranger? The Handsome Stranger. The, the, the Handsome Stranger, but he did not wear the uh, handsome mask, the Chippendale mask. So The Lone Ranger mask. Right. So with that being said, TW, I'm not mad at Marcus Bagwell. I'm just like, he, he served a purpose. He was probably, you know, he's nice backstage. He's not, you know, he's he's compliant to the bookers. I don't know if he was a good hand even by 95 standards, but I think he he took orders well. That's That's what I'll say. He's there to do a job and he did it. Right. He's there to do. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the in the ring. I'm talking about backstage. I think he's more compliant backstage with the bookers. He's entrusted. That's a good hand. Someone you can trust to do the job. And he was entrusted being with Tuchel. He was entrusted with being with the Patriot. And that resulted in what? Tag team championship glory for Marcus Bagwell. So now he's on this third team, the American Males. And I'm not saying I don't like the American Males, but iconic-wise, they have the dumbest yet most, like, uh, I guess you could say the, the one of the most infamous theme songs in the history of professional wrestling because it is so infectious. You hate it so much, but you might tap your toes. You might move your head. And then when you hear American males, American males, American males, that's it. 
I don't know the other words, but I know the hook, T.W. So what say you about just the American males itself? They look good. They had the aesthetics, you know, and, and, and again, you, you have to, you have all this TNA and stuff in there for, for the guys. You got to throw the girls a bone that go to these shows with their girlfriends. You try to get girls there to, to be in this. These were your two pretty boys. They look good together. It was weird to me. Like, Somebody it's, I like now. TW, TW, right? let me just, I, I hate to interrupt, but it's kind of funny you said that to throw a bone with the girls. You know, before the Attitude Era, because I'll give that credit to the, where, where the girls came in and flashed their titties and shit like that, and maybe the, the realism era. We weren't there yet. It's still 95. So right. I even think that the girls were, were away from the product itself. But so they're, even trying, with, they're trying to get them to come there. That's right. what I'm saying. And no, for the, from the Phoenix of the '80s of the rock and rolls and the Fantastics right. and, and stuff like that. Those were teenage kids then, you know. Right. They grew. They grew up. Got married. Got pregnant. Got barefoot in the kitchen and stopped watching mm -hmm. wrestling because right. their their hillbilly husbands wouldn't let them watch wrestling no more. But mm -hmm. but this this is WCW trying to be family like WWF, which is so funny because mm -hmm. it took them trying to also be a family show and not having fire throwers and beating people up in parking lot stuff to be become the most debaucherous era of pro wrestling on both channels was was yeah. uh born from them trying to become a family friendly thing the mm -hmm. thing though but i was going to tell you one of the wrestlers that i like nowadays as far as gear is uh it's not what's what's the los lotharios uh mm -hmm. not humberto the other one angel Angel Garza. Angel Garza. Angel Garza. I mm -hmm. like that he comes out in the pants that looks like he's going to wrestle in them. And then halfway through the match, he pulls them off like the Chippendales. And then he's got mm -hmm. short tights like Billy Gunn would have that still look like that. I thought that's what the American males were going to do because they had like the suspenders. And they're like, they almost look like uh, Mafia. They didn't look like Chippendales. And, and, but they had like cowboy boots with spurs. They were all over the place. But they kept the pa they wrestled in dress pants basically and suspenders. That was weird. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I know what it was. It was eye candy for the women. They were both good looking guys, good bodies. Like say what you will about Luger, he wasn't the prettiest dude, right? And and it's ironic because another guy on this show is Mr. Wonderful Paul Arndorf. They got him looking in the mirror the whole time. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a that couple minutes. That dude's not a pretty dude. He's a rough looking dude. Let's say he'd be a mechanic if he mm -hmm. wasn't a pro wrestler, right? So these guys were pretty boys. They were younger. I've said this before. Back in the 80s, other than the Rock and Roll Express, guys didn't make it. So they were 35 years old on either show because they had mm -hmm. to pay their dues in the indies. And then when they made it to TV, they were they you knew what you were getting with them. They were seasoned, and they mm -hmm. you weren't worried about botches and stuff like that. And if you got them, you you knew they would cover for it. WCW, I would give credit for getting younger sooner, right? right. Uh, the young guys in WWE in the eighties, they would always get put in tag teams like Sean and Brett. They were it wasn't until their thirties when they got to be singles wrestlers and you know IC and world champions. Well, you can say that was a formula that was tried and right. true back then. So you know, yeah, it was, again, it was a system. Right. It was very much a system. So the American males was ready for tag team action reflection nights. And I believe they were going to face the blue bloods, but they got their asses kicked by the newly crowned WCW tag team champions, the Harlem world tag team. Champions. We're, we're, what I said, newly crowned. I said, 
they had also U.S. champions. You just said WCW champions. There was no U.S. tag team champions in '95. That was have to give them credit. They were yeah. world. If Ring of Honor has world tag team champions, damn it, damn WCW it. has world tag team champions. Thank you for the grammar check. I don't care. But anyway, the <laughs> WCW world Put tag respect on their the, name. I forget which number this was their world tag team championship reign, but again, neither here nor there, TW. But they won it at Fall Brawl against uh, the Stud Stable, so it didn't matter right there. But they wanted competition, and they wanted to prove to the Monday Night Nitro audience that they were the best tag team in the world of professional wrestling. So they were giving, they were gifting the American males a tag team title opportunity. Eric Bischoff, and of course, we, get, we can't forget about the commentary team of Eric Bischoff, Mongo, and of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Again, a tried and true... Jesus Christ. Peppy's gone, too. Where, where's your list? You got the list? Did you write it down? There's three right there. You, you sure Peppy's gone? Yeah, dude. It's 30 years ago. I'm sure Pe Unless he's in the Guinness Book, he's gone. He, he's not on a hyperbolic chamber? Nope. Okay, yeah, I'm just checking. Changed. But... Again, this was an, a tag team title opportunity. And, of course, the commentary team was, I think it was more of Bobby Heaton that was saying, like, this is, like, the worst uh, decision that Harlem Heat would make. But right. Harlem Heat was trying to prove a point that they were the most dominant tag team in WCW history and, and the most dominant tag team in professional wrestling. And you would think, T.W., that this would be a cakewalk. And, of course, the American males had to pay their dues to even get a tag team title opportunity. But like I said, Marcus Alexander Bagwell is the luckiest motherfucker ever because somehow they just write him into these storylines to get tag team title opportunities after tag team title opportunities. And the end result reflection is because of some, sh not fuckery, but some, some distractions a la Sher Sensational Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker because they were trying to do that angle where, you know, she got moist for Colonel Robert Parker. But the end result was the distraction, and the American males became the new WCW Tag Team Champions. We don't, TW, you don't have to talk about the, the finish itself, but, you know, for 90s purposes, this was fast-paced. You know, of course, I'm not, I'm not going to discount the American males' athleticism. And, of course, Booker T is on the come-up with his athleticism, and Stevie Ray is a bruiser, and the Harlem Heat was, was a perfect mesh. Of you know power, it's like power and glory in the early nineties. You got the you know both had power. <laughs> both had power, yeah. But Booker T was uh, suspected. He was quick. He was yeah. he was suspiciously quicker. But what say you about the the athletic? Because the nineties was the start of seeing the athleticism really spring up, not only in WCW but in ECW and WWE and all that stuff. It was it, it was a head scratcher for me because they they beat up Bobby Eaton. Steven Regal's not there. So it almost makes you feel well, like... Steven Regal, Steven Regal probably had a little bit pulled. Like, I ain't going to do that. Bobby Heaton's like, just or, like you said, Or he missed a bus, and they're like, just fucking throw Harlem Heat out there, right? But mm -hmm. it was just weird to have just one guy beat up, and then they come out, and then they talk shit. They had just won the belts. So the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, oh, wow, American males are getting squashed, because that's what it looked like to me. Mm -hmm. And instead, as soon as it starts off, it's just basically Riggs beating the shit out of Stevie Ray and Booker T doing, and I'm looking at it going, this is, this is like, and Stephen or, or uh, Riggs had only started wrestling in 92. So this is only, he's only three years in the business now. Harlem Heat 
or in 92. Did, or in did Cobo. he come from the Did he come from the power plant, or he just came in and work in the Indies? Indies. He was working Georgia Peach, some, Georgia Peach Wrestling Alliance, or something like okay. that. But mm-hmm. he was he was trained by somebody like Ted Allen or something. I read, but he, but he, you would have just thought, but then it turned, and then and and they made it. They made points of this on commentary. Bobby Heenan said it. Doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. And these mm-hmm. guys are getting finished. Scotty Riggs took probably the best scissor kick. Uh, you know the what did you call that move? The you just said it, the scissor kick, yeah. Yeah, the scissor kick to the back mm-hmm. of the head. Mm-hmm. Best best bump I've ever seen from that. It it's, like, the Har- it's the Harlem scissor kick. So that's Harlem scissor, scissor kick. kick. Mm-hmm. And then, but they were putting over Booker T to like, oh look at that kick. And then and Bischoff's talking about. I just came back from K1 in Japan from the kickboxing tournament. That was a move that would have made them proud. Then he did the tag team where Stevie Ray whipped him to the ropes, and he did the leg lariat. And mm-hmm. he, he stood the whole time, and they were they were pushing his athleticism. And then they lost. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, I thought this was like Harlem Heat's moment, right? And they're building mm-hmm. him up. But they look so horrible by, A, beating someone up and taking their spot. B, putting their belts on the line, and and then C, losing, and and it wasn't like they beat the shit out of them the whole time and then got distracted. Scotty Riggs and Bump, mostly Scotty Riggs, was just schooling those guys in the beginning. Arm bars, drop kicks, just schooling them. And but there was one thing that Scotty Riggs did that I had to point out. Was that? Bump Is it a good thing? To, was it a good thing yes, or a bad thing? Yeah, oh, okay. Yes, because when they came out, Buff and Riggs are in the corner. And when they sh- you they don't put the camera on them, but they're in the background, and Booker T and whatever are arguing with the referee, and you see Bagwell looks scared, like shit. What do we do? And Riggs goes, no, no, no. They're trying to get on our head. We can do this. And Riggs hyped up Bagwell, and then they won. And that's mm-hmm. that, that was pretty awesome to see him do. I'm sure someone told him to do that, mm-hmm. but they did it in the background, not even on camera. And if you're not paying attention, you don't see it. Unless you're just eyeballing the ring everywhere. And when they won, I looked at my TV like, fuck. But you nailed it. They won the belts from Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. They ended up losing the titles a week later back to Harlem Heat. So Mm -hmm. it was building up their reign as tag team champions. But remember in the 80s, the belts were either on the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, or the Road Warriors. Or Arn and Tully. Those four... Mm -hmm. With every now and again, a Rick Rude and Randy Fernandez would have them. Oh, the Russians. Or the Russians, but once. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to get those belts in the 80s. And now you got them changing hands twice in 24 hours, and then again a week later. That's why those belts mean nothing to nobody. That's why they're not in my collection. The NWA World Tag Team titles, the WWF Tag Team but, but, titles. But I would say this, to be fair, again... The microwave fandom of, of us changed because what did Bischoff wanted? He wanted some. He wanted the ratings. He knew that something like out of the blue that happens every Monday night, you right. had to watch. Right. So with the formula that you're backing you ta- yourself in a corner because no, now you have to do something. No, no, yeah, you're backing yourself because that's the only formula that's left. Title changes. So while you are saying something eloquent like the tag team title reigns of the Russians was like six months, Manny Fernandez and Rick Rue was like six months, Rock and Roll was six months. You hear what I said? Six months. It's not 24 hours. It's not seven days. 
you know, some again, reflection as I'm not hypocritical. There were seven day rains in the 80s. We know this. Yeah. But for the purity, for the that prestige, was usually a heel being a paper champion to transfer right. out to another baby. Face. But but for the purity and the prestige and sometimes for the angle, it made sense to have shorter reigns. This was just a pop for a ratings uh, yeah. win against. But Bundy I think Night it Raw. hurt Harlem Heat is what I'm saying. Oh, OK. So to me, with the loss. You don't give them the pass because of the, the distraction that Colonel Robert Parker and Sensational Sherry, just, they didn't was, lose it, clean. They didn't it, lose clean. It made pay. them look incompetent from start to finish. <laughs> it was a bad idea to just do it. And mm-hmm. then they lost because their manager couldn't keep her eyes off of Robert, Palmer, or Robert Parker's dick. By the way, someone just tagged me on Facebook of Robert Parker not that long ago in his swimsuit with his hands on his hips and it said people didn't understand what Ma Parker saw in him and he just got this huge dick in his in his speedo and and I'm just like why would anyone send this and now here we are talking about him on the podcast I wonder who I think tagged. I finally who I couldn't figure out why you wanted me to watch this who, and now who I, tagged you? I didn't tag you with Travis, Robert Parker Travis tagged me Travis Volts wants you to see somebody else's book dude there's not a dick joke ever referenced that Travis did not pop for. There's not a bad one in his eyes. He said they're all any dick joke is pop. For, hey, for Travis. hey, Travis, you don't as long as you don't tag the professor, I'm all good. <laughs> tag it all to TW. No, so he doesn't that, want you to figuratively tag him. Professor wants you to tag him. Hell no. Hell to the no. Slide but into anyway. the DMs, Travis. Slide no. into the DMs and no. beat the professor in person. No, 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 no. But anyway, we must get on with this episodic episode here. So you mentioned his name before, so I'm going to have to mention his name now because this was a character shift to the umpteenth degree. This was a, this, He was on his last legs, you could say, for, for you know being getting TV time, and that was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, TW. So, you know, he... This was more a WCW Saturday night storyline, per se. And, uh, of course, you know, when you have Monday Night Nitro and it's live, you need some names. You need somebody to be on TV. And Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff is still a name, per se. But right. you needed a reason for him to have TV time. So he was he had a bad losing streak. He was losing every time. He was losing to people like Johnny B. Bad and Barry Horowitz and stuff like that on Saturday night. <laughs> and he lost his confidence. He lost his will to keep wrestling. And of course, again, this is Eric Bischoff, you know, tapping into what was going on in those days. And he created his own guru, his own Tony Robbins. I forget the guy's name, but he had like a white afro and all that stuff. But he 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 coached Mr. Wonderful. It was like a psychic friends network thing. But anyway, he was he was giving positive affirmations to Mr. Wonderful Paul Ornorf. And of course, Wonderful, they call him Mr. Wonderful. So Mr. Wonderful, with a mirror in his left hand, just admiring his own beauty, this was the last gasp of the character of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. So he went all in, no pun intended to AEW, but TW, he went all in on this gimmick. So, you know, he's getting paid, it's TV time. So what say you about this last gasp of a character, let's say reboot? Of the Mr. Wonderful character. This after pretty wonderful. Yeah, this is after. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And then this is because I this remember... is this is a couple of months. I think in December 
where they did an angle where the horseman Powell drove him on the stage and he br supposedly broke his neck and then he was off TV forever. You could say. Yeah, he um he retired in two thousand, but I remember him being there when Warrior got there and. They were using, the, remember the mirrors he would do when Paul Orndorff would look and talk to the guy in the mirror or whatever that he did? And then mm -hmm. they used that same set for the warrior to sneak up on Hogan like Hogan was seeing ghosts. But, but yeah, Paul Orndorff, he, not a good-looking dude, man. Like, I, I love Orndorff, man. And rest in peace. But for them to do a pretty Paul Orndorff, is, it's like, yeah. He was built like He-Man, but he also looked like He-Man. He-Man wasn't a good-looking guy either. The Dutch boy haircut. Mm -hmm. Paul Warner had it. He just, like I said, he looked like he would be a mechanic. And but it was you, so but weird. Last week, but TW, last week you said you're a body guy. He's right, the ultimate right. body guy. But I'm saying, I'm not talking about him. I love him. But to okay. make him come out there like he was pretty. He was not pretty. He was ugly. No, this was not a, well, again. He looked like a human pug. It was positive affirmation from the guru. So yeah. he, with the mirror, it just made him feel more confident, more stoic. He was stoic. hypnotized. Wasn't he hypnotized yeah. or something? Well, not hypnotized, but he took, you know, the positive affirmation. Like, like you said, it was a 900 Psychic Friends hotline, this, so he was all in on it. This match made me feel like this is very close to the end of Johnny B. Bad's run. He must have became Mark Merrow in 96 because... To that degree, yeah. For him to lose this match, I thought for sure Orndorff was losing. And then he loses and like... Why, why would he lose when they're giving him the character shift like this? That's not good business. No, I know. I know, mm -hmm. but it's still Johnny B. Bad, who's the only guy on the roster with a thousand dollars a month in wardrobe allowance. Mm -hmm. A nobody. You talking about throwing money around? They give this guy a thousand dollars a month to have gear made, so he can have four different outfits and then the pay per view outfit, and he spent every dime of it. And then he's just losing the Orndorff without a feud or anything. Remember, the golden rule is the babyface wins unless you're furthering a a, a program. But if it's just a cold match, good guy versus bad guy, unless it's a jobber, the baby mm -hmm. face wins. So, okay. uh, but he didn't cheat to win. I mean, I guess he did. He rolled him up or whatever. But it, again, another thing that makes somebody look incompetent, Marrow's or Johnny B. Bad's going to do a move, and then he gets pinned like he doesn't realize he's pinning himself. And it's just, it's just a lot of, lot of making people look bad on this show. Did, did that finish look botchy, or that that just kind of? It looked like. You know, like, and I don't mind this finish. Like, remember Piper has a sleeper hold on Brett, and he kicks, and Piper mm -hmm. has no idea he's being pinned. He just thinks right. he's holding the sleeper in. Or if Ric Flair has the figure four leg lock on a guy, either A, he passes out and gets pinned because he's not paying attention. He's so into the foot. Or the guy in the figure four passes out. That's to save a guy from tapping out. He right. passes out and gets pinned. I get that. But Johnny B. Bad just looks stupid. And then when he rolled over and said, I lost? Like what? What happened? It, it, they look like idiots, and it's just. Mm -hmm. But again, if he showed up at WrestleMania in March, this is September. He his ninety days off of TV is coming, so he's probably on that run of doing jobs, and then mm -hmm. he disappears. But just weird finishes on these shows, man. Just like have Ornor beat a jobber. But what's wrong with putting Frankie Stumper Lancaster but, in there? This is Nitro. This is the, the flagship now, the new flagship. This is not WCW Saturday Night. Eric Bischoff was, you know, turning away from every, you know, the brainwash of the IWC, of the wrestling community was to watch WCW Saturday Night from 6.05 to 8.05. Eric Bischoff's keynote speech 
to his boys and girls. Well, a couple of girls, but neither here nor there. But his keynote speech was Monday nights is WCW's new night to reign. We're taking over from WWE. It had to happen. So Eric Bischoff needed to have all these not, you know, jobber matches. He needed to have these semi-main event and main event matches. So it is what mid, it is. So mid card. Oh, mid card. Yes. Again, thank you for the grammar lesson, TW. I always, oh, I'm I, saying it's not the main event. Johnny B. Bad and him are like our. Well, Johnny B. Bad was a U.S. champion, TV yeah. champion, all that stuff. So he's beating a main eventer or a mid carder per se. So, you know, it is what it is. But like you said, TW, earlier, that for an hour's Nitro, you got, you know, you got three matches out of it. And of course, you got two interview segments. So, you know, I think, you know, for goddamn for, you know, I feel old, number one. But number Gary two, Bybee. what was that? Welcome. I found his ass. Who? Psychic Gary Spivey was. His, oh, looked like Captain Kangaroo with a white perm. Yeah, he had that white puffy afro. That's why I forgot his name. But Gary Spivey, thank you for that, TW. Google is your friend. It yes. took forever. I know. I. I just I put didn't. it Paul Orner's WCW manager, and I've been scrolling for 10 minutes. All this was Heenan, Heenan, Heenan. I'm like, and then I saw Captain Kangaroo there. Th th there you go. But, but this is a perfect example of trying to be 80s WWE right there. That's the mm -hmm. shit they would have done on rock and, rock and Wrestling. Yeah, and it didn't work then. It wouldn't, wouldn't work there, there too. So either, neither here nor there. But again, what I was trying to say, the formula for the hour Nitro was good. Three right. matches and two interview segments. So, yep. you know, the pacing was was good in the perspective. It was, jam it was five pounds of shit or ten pounds mm -hmm. of shit and five pound bags. But, but like I said, you, you get the matches and then, you know, you get a little bit of a break with a Mean Gene interview. Then you get another match. Then you get a Mean Gene interview, and then you get the main event. So it was it was a good one hour, you know, formula before yep. they you know moved up to two hours. But in one of those interview segments, we got to talk about this. He interviewed was it the Macho Man or was it Lex Luger? But neither here nor there. It was Macho Man Randy Sands, and of course, like I said, this was the fallout from Fall Brawl, and of course, Macho Man and Lex Luger were part of Team Hulkamania in the War Games. And of course, Lex Luger, his main job, after, you know, is to splinter the friendship between Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, to splinter the, the friendship between Hogan and Sting, the mistrust factor. But Luger was not trying to like, you know, he was not trying to like brainwash Sting into anything. He was just telling it flat out to Macho Man. He was telling it flat out to Hulk Hogan. He said it since the debut episode of Monday Night Nitro Reflection Nights. I want to be WCW Heavyweight Champion. I came where the big boys are World. playing right now. World what? Champion. World Champion. I'm, I'm saying WCW Champion because that's what they said. But neither here nor there. He wanted to be the WCW Champion, TW. And he was not. it was no secret. The secret came out in, in Halloween Havoc that he was working with Jimmy Harp. That's neither here nor there. That's logistics. But what say, TW, about the, you know, the, the, the confrontation? The face-to-face -face between Macho Man and Luger, and Luger trying to fan the flames of doubt and the seeds one, of mistrust. One of the absolute worst <laughs> interviews I've ever seen. <laughs> Neither one of them could get is a it, point it, out. Wait, wait, wait. Is it is it worse because Mean Gene's in the middle? Because now we're used to just the wrestlers just speaking off the dome and just getting right. a script it, or whatever. It's so bad, and Macho Man can't get on his own out of his own way. He just keeps spitting out sayings, 
and then goes, oh, yeah, and I'll tell you another thing. Yeah, he said that was true. And I'm like, what? Like, and then Luger's like looking at him. First of all, the first thing Luger says to him, he gets quiet. And then Macho mm-hmm. goes, talk to me, brother. Like neither one of them knew the next line. It was horrible. And here's Did, the problem. Didn't, Ma- didn't Macho Man sound like he, ha- he had like laryngitis? He was sick. And he just had to, he was. Oh, you mean, did he sound like he was Macho Man? Yes, he did. <laughs> sound exactly the same as always. But the thing was, this right here, it's, it's, it should be stated. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, Randy Orton has been able to, to shake it. But Randy Orton and, and, and Big Show are considered the modern day Lex Luger, where they're heel face, heel face so much. Mm-hmm. Basically, and I didn't catch this at the time because, like you said, I really wasn't watching the product. Not because I didn't want to. It was either because I was busy or it was frowned on. I was told not to watch this shit, right? But mm-hmm. Lex Luger, going to WCW the way he did, he literally left WWF in the same storyline with Tatanka and Nibiasi, and now he's doing it with Macho Man Hogan and Sting, where he's he's now the ir- you know the instigator instead of Tatanka, basically you know poking the bear on both sides or whatever. And then inevitably turns bad guy again. But Macho Man said the dumbest thing. He goes, yeah, Dungeons of Doom, I predict their next members in the next meeting are Lex Luger, Sting, and Jimmy Hart. And I'm like, what? Just like, it just, it was so bad. Like, here's what it was. It, it, mm. it, it was phoning it in. It's what it is. They're just, what do you want me to say? All right, fuck it. All right, I'll just go out there and wing it. And it looked like they were winging it. Luger was bad. Macho Man was bad. Gene looked like he just wanted it to be over. All right, guys. And then they pull apart. They don't even do enough of that so that when they come back from commercial, Bishop has to go, yeah, Luger never backed down. There was a couple slaps, but the security came out and broke that shit up because they had mm-hmm. to just invent an ending because those two couldn't get to one. It was, it was horrible. Absolutely and horrible. Again. It's still the third episode, and they're trying <laughs> to find their footing on national TV, primetime, if you will, reflection. I'm not trying to defend Eric Bischoff, but again, the mean it's gene factor. No, no, no. But, but again, what you're saying, but but you, what you're saying is true. But I think the mean gene factor, like he's trying to interview a guy, but then someone else comes, and then mean gene's in the middle. You can't really do it like a fight. And mean, you know what knows. I did like though? You know what I did what like? I like that? that Luger came out without music. He just walked out there. I miss that. I, I hate oh, yeah. when there's a run-in save or run-in attack, and they play the music first. Why mm-hmm. would the guy in the ring not be turned around and ready to go when he hears the guy's music? Instead, right. he just sits there. I mean, some guys react to the music like, huh? And then they attack you from the other side when you're looking at the ramp. But Luger just walked out like, hold up, buddy. It was almost like vintage, uh, what do you call it, the Coliseum? The, um, not the Omni, but the other one. The No, you're right. That, that is the Omni. Phillips Arena. No, that's... the WCW Saturday night. The oh, center stage. Center stage. The center mm-hmm. stage days when Dusty Rose would be talking shit about Flair, and Flair just came out and go, what's up, bitch? I'm here, mm-hmm. right? No mm-hmm. music was played. No introduction was made. It looked like heat of the moment. Like, he had enough in the back. I'm going to come out here. And the funny thing is, um, let me tell you, let me behind you, let me let me let me behind the fourth wall. When a guy okay. was doing a promo in the ring on an indie show, on center stage, on anything pre-Monday Night Raw or Nitro, you mm-hmm. didn't have a clue what he was saying in the back. You had no idea what was going on out there. So they didn't tell you what you they were saying. When you came out and said something in response to it, you were guessing. So you were like, 
I hope he said this shit, you know, because we talked about it. But that that's, sounds like a that, that sounds like a pop quiz that everybody right? had to be on the same page. So right? you know, it is what it there is. There ain't no it's monitors like in the back in the eighties and nineties in the beginning. And, and again, this is what why I love the live concept because the fuck ups and is and the botches. Were you gonna Shock miss master. your cues? Yeah, that too. Were you gonna miss your cues? Were you gonna fall? Not get injured again. It was more about like you know, th- these wrestlers were used to getting you know they were erasing the history of your fuck ups with the editing. So you can't do that. You can't do that on a live feed. But neither here nor there. So let's close out this uh, Monday Night Nitro with the main event. Well, we can talk about the the main I missed the event. Bell. You got to bring the bell back next time we do a. Uh, episodic. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it. I, one I time only. One time one, one, I will do that for the next episodic. And surprise me. It doesn't have to be the next one. Just surprise me with it. Okay. Well, you're saying it, so now I have to really like make it make it feel like Christmas. Again, I got you. Yeah. It's in the, maybe, it's in the mind. you told me it's going to happen around Christmas. Maybe that's it's, what you just said. It's inside the laboratories. That's all I'll say. But anyway, <laughs> the main event was Ric Flair against Flying Brian. But before that, we have to talk about what happened in Fall Brawl. One of the best uh, picks that the professor ever made was when I said Arn Anderson was going to beat the Nature Boy Ric Flair. And the professor was right. And I laughed at all my friends who said Ric Flair was going to win and all this stuff. I said, no, I have a feeling. I had a feeling in the tip of my tongue that Arn Anderson was going to win that match. I didn't know how he was going to win it. And then Flying Brian kind of fucked it up, but I didn't care. It's not about it's not about how you start; it's how you finish. And when the in, in the in the history books, Arn Anderson defeated Ric Flair at Fall Brawl. So Ric Flair is pissed uh, out of all the passivities, and he was interviewing with me and Gene Oakland and T.W. That interview was okay because there was no confrontations, there was no you know one on ones like with Arn. He was just talking about how mad he was, how upset he was that he had to fight his friend and all this stuff. So, you know, the difference, T.W., was before that match, it was a matter of respect. Now, we know that the end result was it was just to plant the season. This was the ultimate swerve to get Sting and just to beat the shit out of him and to reform the horses, which was a, an elaborate plan, but we saw it coming, neither here nor there. But what's the T.W.? Because what started as a matter of respect out of two brothers having having an issue then rick flair and flying brian and arn anderson concocted this plan to to make it on monday night nitro to make it look personal what's atw about this and you could talk about the match too if you want well what it felt like to me because i don't know about this plan in hindsight mm-hmm. they're trying to make rick flair a good guy it was almost like they knew hulk hogan wasn't cutting the mustard so they got to make rick flair a good guy but nobody gave a shit about him either right which is why okay. i think he ended up being back to being a heel but he uh he's he's obviously been back for a couple of years from WWF, but he's got that short hair, he's fucking crazy. Um mm-hmm. but at the Great American Bash that I was at that July, it was mm-hmm. Ric Flair versus Macho Man with the Elizabeth shit, just like they did at WrestleMania in ninety two in ninety three. Mm-hmm. Or was it ninety two? It was ninety two. And uh so they're they're reinventing that, that damn thing again. And you, we, I can't believe you didn't bring it up. The tie-in was the Baywatch, and Macho Man was doing some benching on the beach, and mm-hmm. the devil, the devil attacked him, Kevin Sullivan, and who came to save him? Ric Flair. And then that was Macho Man's interview before Lex came out, was him going, Ric Flair, no thanks. 
see you the next time, lifetime, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. it made no sense that Ric Flair came out, but but that's what I say. It was trying to make him look like this baby face because Fall Brawl is in September. That's only two months after the Ric Flair versus Macho Man Grand American Bash match over, over mm-hmm. Elizabeth. So it made no sense for him to save Macho Man, and it made all the sense in the world for Macho Man to go, no, thank you. And and then they never talk about it again. It goes now it's back to Ric Flair telling Arnold. I just I just told you this was this was an elaborate plan by Ric Flair to to gain the trust of Sting and say he is a good guy, so that the end result was Halloween Havoc, where he beat the shit out of Sting and reformed the Horseman. He had to play the part to a degree. That when is that when Mongo became a Horseman, or is that when Benoit? That's way that's 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 ninety six for Mongo. So Benoit is the fourth with with Pilman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or Malenko. No, no, it was the the. What the year 90- did they leave? Wasn't it ninety seven when they Pillman left in ninety seven? Because he no ninety six because he died in ninety seven. Pillman left in ninety six. And died in ninety seven. Yeah. Okay, so he's less than two years away from the grave himself. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Almost man. to the month. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm talking about the program here. Gary Sherry's gone too. It's a sad day. But anyways, um, mm-hmm. it, it it was so weird. Like the whole the whole thing was weird. Pillman looked weird. He looked out of sorts. Like this has to be the transition right before he becomes a loose cannon, because um, he just looks. He also looks like he's phoning it in, man. He just and then him and Flair have the same massive. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the the third time you say phoning it in. Why you keep saying phoning it in? This, this, these are. These are professional athletes, professional who are, who are, who guys. Are not happy there, dude. They're, I know they're just, that they're not happy. They're getting, they're getting guaranteed. They're getting guaranteed money. They're getting less dates. They're happy. Yeah, but they they ain't happy with the product or something. Because remember, Pillman had never been anywhere else. Calgary, that don't count, right? That does count. Yes, Calgary does count. Calgary's not TV money, dude. So <laughs> I'm telling you, Pillman just he didn't look like himself. Wasn't that loud? And then they had the same match Flair has with everybody, but they try to switch it up as like him being the good guy, but he still takes well, a slam. Flair and Flying Brian had those WCW main event matches in 1991, so they yeah, they wanted Pilman to reinvent the, the baby wheel. face. Yeah, they were good. But this people was didn't that see match, that. and they tried to switch things. It was horrible. It was people not a good match. That. I remember sitting there going, "Man, this is Pillman versus same thing with Johnny B. Bad and Orndorff. Should have been great." And oh, and by the way. Ric Flair is not notorious for coming off mm-hmm. the top rope to the floor like Monster Man, but for some reason he felt like doing it in this match. And Brian mm-hmm. Pillman looks like an idiot standing there for 10 minutes. And then finally he's like, you ready? You ready? Okay. And then he does it. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why he's never done that again. Ric Flair probably shit his pants coming just, off the top rope. Just proof for all the reflectionites that AEW is not the only time that you've ever seen people just waiting for their spots or right. their cues for somebody to come off the top. So it has happened in the past. So I just wanted to say that in defense of AEW2 and in defense of the 2023 spot monkeys that do the shit. But again, my man TW keeps saying that they're phoning it in. I will give you that Johnny B. Bad is phoning it in because, again, he's in, he's in his last days. He's doing his honors. Flying Brian, I don't know if you can say he's phoning it in. I think he's just trying to find you know, his niche of a character. And the loose cannon was, was about to become something. So he was trying to find it himself. It felt like he was giving his all to me, man. It felt like he was just, all right, let's do this. And I'll give away the finish. He really? tapped really? out in record time to that figure four. Like, all right, we're done. Let's get out of here. 
which was part of the concocted plan of Brick Flair, Flying Brian, and Arn Anderson to gain the trust of Sting. And and remember this, TW. And again, spoiler alert: I will talk about a couple of nitros after this. This was a program that they built towards Halloween Havoc between Flair, Arn, and Flying Brian. They did weeks of them fighting each other. You know, one of those matches was in a steel cage. One of the matches was a handicap match. One of the matches was supposed to be a tag team match with Sting. So, you know, they were building this on both Saturday night and Nitro with Flair begging that the only person that he could trust against Arn and Pillman was Sting. So, again, this is this was a plan that we all saw coming. We all saw the swerve coming, but I'm not going to say it played but so well on TV. It was just entertaining. Sting looked like an idiot. That's So he's phoning it in, too, because he's an no. idiot? Oh, They're okay. booking stuff to make people look stupid. Okay. You know who never turned on Sting? Lex Luger never turned on Sting. He just turned bad guy and said, Sting, I'm not going to fuck with you, but well, I don't like your I, friend. 99, he did turn on Sting. How? He betrayed him. Like, but I think I, but it was a clothesline or something, but it was it was a Russo thing. He wanted to switch oh, something. See, that up. doesn't count. The Russo era stricken from the record doesn't Jesus count. Christ. See, but now you're, def- you're defending it. Luger turned on Wyndham. Luger turned on Flair and him. He, but he didn't ever turn. He would just sting. We're not going to be friends. With, I'm not, I don't like your friends, but I'm not going to fuck with you. And mm-hmm. I know they had a match. They had a Sting versus Luger match in the 89 or 90 or whatever it was. But that was yeah. before. That was what formed the bond that Luger never betrayed. Okay. So that's revisionist history, courtesy of TW. I no one was watching. No one was watching. I was watching. I was watching. But it's it's in the record books. But again, we close with Ric Flair doing a quick tap out to, no, well, Flying Brian doing a quick tap out to Ric Flair's figure four leg rock to build on this program. Like I said, this was a program strictly built from the, the night after fall brawl, working their way to Halloween Havoc. So I want to close this out with, with a question for you, TW, because again, we're seeing the seeds planted with, like you said, what you hate, the four-week storyline or the or just getting to the next pay-per-view. You know, we're seeing hey, the seeds. Hmm? I, love, I love building towards the pay-per-view. No, no, no. You, but you said, like, it's the, it's the quick, recyclable microwave storylines that you hate. Oh, yeah. So, I like it, technically, you're building. But technically, it's from this point. To Halloween Havoc, which is a right. month later. So what say you, TW? Because you you technically said you don't like the microwave storylines. This is a I a, you just made it made sense to me. So I like it now that you're telling me it did play out over the next few weeks. Okay. But I didn't like the Flair helping Macho Man. I didn't like the monster truck running over the motorcycle. I didn't like like a lot of stuff was unnecessary. But if mm-hmm. Flair Arn and Pillman concocted a plan just to screw Sting over one more time. Is this when this Sting was a horseman way before this, right? That was 1990. Yeah, that's so. This mm-hmm. is him getting screwed again by the same guys, right? Yeah. But I like that. But the one thing I don't like is you're telling me Flair and Arn had a steel cage match. I don't like when guys are supposedly working together to do the turn. And they're yet they're beating the shit out of each other in a match that can end one of their careers. That's the stuff I don't like. But I you like have the match. You have to make it look realistic to the person who's going to get screwed that it looks real. I just I like the matches where the guy who turns never tags in. 
And then when he finally mm-hmm. does, he goes, oh, by the way. And then he throws him back in, and he gets pinned by the other guys. This is the evolution, TW. We have to accept it. Like the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, the 2020s, the 2030s, the evolution of the swerve and the turn always evolves in professional wrestling. And with that being said, we close on this episodic episode, episode 174. My God, we're close, TW. We're close to 200. We're 26 away from the elusive 200. Episode 124, WCW Monday Nitro. September 18th, 1995. So, TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here. Next week, what are we going to do? I think we might do a... Oh, I had an idea for you, but not for next week because I need you to give me more information. But Mm -hmm. you said something earlier. You made a comparison between Eric Bischoff stealing from Paul E. Okay. And I said, well, it's a lot easier to do when you got the pocketbook with Ted Turner. Like... Mm -hmm. It made me think, what if Paul E. had Ted Turner's pocketbook? Mm. Yeah. In 2000, the, the 2001 thing, when the billionaire Ted would be the uh, benefactor for Paul yeah. E. and save ECW. Or if they hired Paul E. instead of Bischoff. And he got it from scratch. It, it might be Peacock Network with WCW, not, not it with... Uh, and you could have the extreme it, it could, division. It, it could be a CW it's an, name all around. It's an intriguing what if. I'll put that in the in the memory books. I'll put that in the laboratories and, and see how I can mish mishmash it around and make it work for us for a future what if. So give out those social TW so we can get out of here. All righty. The Pro Wrestling Coalition Network sponsors us at PWC Network at Podbean.com. Hameen Media Group is at Podbean.com as well. And they're also at ChannelAttitude.com. We can be found on the X with at PW Reflection. Uh, I mentioned them, Travis, quite a bit. So if you don't listen to this week's episode, I'll know it. Mm -hmm. If you don't come at me after I expose you and your affinity dick jokes, then at... Do not tag the professor. Thank you very much. Uh, Go ahead. Not figuratively tag him literally. But anyways, at Nuts and Volts PW... That is V-O-E-L-T-Z, because he can't spell bolts the normal way, V-O-L-T-S. But Nuts and Bolts PW is Travis. Big Ray, you can find him on every social media platform, at Big Ray Hernandez. And on every Wednesday, the Next Level podcast, you can find him on that. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram, at TommyWonder19, at Twitter X. Uh, my Snapchat is NumberWonder. Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder and then at the Tommy Wonder is TikTok and my nice guy X. Uh, Big Vito and the well can be found at bigvitobrand.wixsite.com, patreon.com backslash the Big Vito brand. And you can watch the early release of the reflection video of this show and everyone going forward at twitch.tv backslash the Big Vito brand. Hey, you know what? I just had an epiphany. Since the yeah. American the American males made me angry because I saw Marcus Ag- Alexander Bagwell being you know gifted another tag team title run run TW, I figured next week we'll do a spotlight on a tag team one of the greatest tag teams of all time. I don't know where they are on your mantle of your collectibles, but they should be a top ten on your Mount Rushmore. America's Most Wanted. Nope. Oh, we are gonna do a spotlight on the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith. You get it. You guessed it. 
That's the British Bulldogs. We're doing a spotlight on the British Bulldogs, and we're gonna do some tag. We're gonna. I'm gonna give you some good tag team let wrestling matches. Let me What's tell that? you. So this is why we're on the same wavelength, brothers from another mother. Mm -hmm. Earlier, when I was talking about how the hot potato tag team title situation. I was gonna ask you a question. What tag team championship pursuit is the one that you remember the most from being a kid? It's the Bulldogs chasing Valentine and Beefcake. And then when mm -hmm. it finally paid off, that was a long, long program that finally paid off. Felt like four. What? It was like four or five months of them chasing it. They, it, they got it, one at Saturday it, night's main event. They had a chance. Where they won, there. but they got screwed over by mm -hmm. the disqualification fall. It was just a beautiful thing. And when they, as a kid, I remember being so frustrated. But when they finally won with Ozzy Osbourne in their corner, it was the greatest day ever at WrestleMania two. And that's my first year as a wrestling fan. And mm -hmm. that's still my favorite title pursuit of all time. There you go. You got a sneak preview of the spotlight with the British Bulldog. TW is now giddy. He, he, you know, again, that you can tell when he's giddy when I give him something good. But you can find me on my Xer at PWSOPRF. That's PWSOPROF. And if this gets uploaded by 8-Track Brown, this will be available on the PWSO YouTube networks. Follow my brothers in arms, Billy Ray Valentine, Wednesday Locker Room on the Homie Media Group at Pobbean.com. You can find his Xer at Obi One You Know Me. And of course, the king of the reactions. 8-Track Brown at the number 8, T-R-A-C Brown. And as I've been told before by 8-Track Brown, we are on the TikTok PW at PW Hustle. I'm not on it just yet. Maybe I might do a, a one-minute perspective on the TikToks. But again, I don't know if I want China to have that much access of the professor. So I'm still debating on going on the TikTok. But the PW Hustle is available on the TikTok. So again, next week. You let me know about that. I'll do one every now and again if you want to set it up. I'll do a TikTok minute. There, there you go. Do a nostalgic moment on the PWSO with TW. Yep. So with that being said, next week we are going to do a spotlight, a tag team spotlight on the British Bulldogs. With that being said, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful. Thumb Dumb Do It, Eat It So, Dr. Frankenstein, the Iron Stomach Ones. Tommy Wonder saying good night, and we'll see you next time here at the PWR Podcast at the Hame Media Group at Podbean.com. Hey! CM Punk is not the problem. <laughs>